Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're joined by Lily Percy to discuss the ways the silver screen can soothe us. Lily is an executive producer at On Being Studios and the host of This Movie Changed Me, a podcast about how movies teach, connect, and transform us. Welcome to the podcast, Lily. Welcome. Thank you. We are so excited to dive into your incredibly cozy show. But before we dive into all of that, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this week. What's making me feel cozy this week is vegan fried chicken. (laughs) So my husband and I have been on a hunt throughout Los Angeles County, actually. Like it's really, it's starting to expand on really excellent fried chicken. We love the vegan fried chicken, I should add. We love the vegan fried chicken at Plant Power Food. I would still say Lettuce Feast, which is a food truck, is king. But recently, another food truck, which is based in Sherman Oaks, opened up a physical location in Koreatown called the Original Herbivore. And it is our current favorite because it is the only one that will sell you a gigantic bucket of vegan fried chicken. <laughs> and I didn't realize how much the bucket was a factor because mm-hmm. as a vegetarian, I've been a vegetarian since I was 19. I have not had a bucket of fried chicken for, <laughs> I'm, it's crazy to think about, but like basically as half the time I've been alive, haven't had it practically. Like it's, it's, it's been a long time. And to return to a fried chicken bucket, even, even if it's vegan, it's still delicious. It, but it's not even about the taste for me. It's just that bucket. <laughs> mm-hmm. And digging in and just totally pigging out on fried chicken is a really cozy sensation. And also, they're really generous with the sauces. So most recently, we had a honey chipotle Korean and honey mustard sauce. And they have like a ton more. Anyway, I could go on and on about this uh, fried chicken bucket, but I'm going to stop here. But I just want to say, if you're ever in the LA region and you're hankering for that and you're a vegetarian or vegan, check out the original herbivore in Koreatown. I agree that um, the fried chicken bucket is very nostalgic, that the bucket itself, there is this sad little fried chicken place in my town called Pudgy Wudgies. <laughs> I'm and already old. I want to go to Pudgy Wudgies. And I was just <laughs> thrilled. I can still see it in my memory riding in the car with my mom seeing Pudgy Wudgies in the distance and knowing it was going to be a good day, that Pudgy Wudgies, the saddest little chicken ornament on top of the roof. <laughs> but it was just so exciting, like bringing it home and smelling it in the car. And um, I need to check it out. I think it's a very cozy and delicious wreck. It's always the thing, right? When you want dinner for the whole family, but you have no energy or patience yeah. for cooking. Is there anything simpler than a bucket of fried chicken? Bucket, or, yeah, a bucket of anything. <laughs> exactly. Just like... We go. feed the kids with buckets. No, and everyone's happy. No one's going to complain about that. How about you, Julian? What's making you feel cozy this week? Well, I finally put um, the Christmas gift mat got me into good use. It's a cocktail book called Fizz by Ollie Smith. And I've been wanting to try it, but you know, in the pandemic living, it's just easier to have your buckets of wine, if you will. <laughs> so it's just been rinse repeat for me. Um, and also my dad has been sending me for some, he gets into kicks. If anyone who's listening knows my dad, he just goes through these really odd phases. And one of his phases right now is sending everyone in my family crates of Martha Stewart curated wine. Oh, I didn't know Martha Stewart made crates of curated wine. But it's so, it's so bizarre. My dad, he's like, 
well, he made it seem like he didn't even know who Martha Stewart was as this whole thing. He's like, he's trying to play it cool. He's like, there's some seal, this some Martha Stewart someone. <laughs> and um, wow, he's like, I'm gonna send you wine, and he always sends white, which I don't like. So I've been trying to get through these crates of wine, and my therapist is like, you don't have to drink the wine, you don't have to do it. <laughs> wait, hold, hold, thing. wait, I need you to pause, Jolene. You don't like white wine? I I like it, but. I prefer red. And so also when you have this huge crate of Martha Stewart curated wine, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to get through. This is big news for me. I, I need these updates, Jillian, because when I met you, you were a freak for totally it. In, you were a freak for Pinot Grigio. It's my Everywhere dark lord. <laughs> but now <laughs> I've transitioned into um, the dark lord's, you know, my red. So okay. I want to... I'm, I'm, <laughs> thank you for sharing. I need to know that for gift giving purposes. Okay. So I, you know, I wanted to transition out of wine and... I had this book by Matt that I've been meaning to try, and it's so sweet and cute. Um, the description says, 80 joyful cocktails and mocktails for every occasion. It's just the most adorable little book. And so I tried this orange sake, which has obviously sake, uh, pomegranate cordial, ice cubes, and good quality ginger ale. And you put a large twirl of lemon peel and orange peel entwined in the drink and it was so refreshing and lovely it's just fun my partner and I we made a bunch of different cute little cocktails and they're so festive and it's appropriate title fizz it's just a nice activity to do when you can't go out to a bar and it's just something different mm. and we sat outside and it was really lovely and cozy I my next drink I want to try from the book is called the San Fran Sparkler which is lemon vodka triple sec lime juice cranberry or vanilla reduction and champagne we even bought the special champagne saucers whatever you call them <laughs> we got we got those we're, fa we're, we're fancy now <laughs> so i still have my martha stewart wine i'm trying to get through it but in the meantime i'm enjoying this cozy little book from matt fizz by ollie smith i love the name ollie yeah, no, everything about it is cute, even the author's name. Yeah, I'm really glad you're putting it to good use. It was one of those gifts that I was like in the bookstore being like, I think Jillian would love this, and I would also love it. And it sat <laughs> underneath the tree for a while in that limbo period of like, is this going to be a, a gift for myself? But um, I'm glad it went to you and that you're making use of yeah, it. Yeah, I'm fizzing for it. <laughs> Lily, how about you? What is making you feel cozy? Well, I feel like, um, shockingly, vegan vegan chili is what I've made this weekend, uh, a vegan sweet potato chili. Um, and that has definitely made me feel cozy. But I think, if I'm being honest, it's probably rewatching Schitt's Creek for the fifth time that is currently really making me feel cozy. Can't go wrong there. No. It's an incredible combo. I mean, why not vegan chili and watch it? I mean, you know, I don't often eat while I watch something, which I know is kind of weird, but like I get so into what I'm watching that I'll forget to eat or alternatively we'll eat a ton and not realize it and then <laughs> like not focus on either thing at the same time. Um, so they happen separately, sadly, but um, the Schitt's Creek is just the gift that keeps on giving. I started watching it after many years of folks recommending it to me, people who I really respect and admire, and I don't know what I was resisting. It wasn't so much resistance and more just, you know, the feeling of overwhelm that you get when you are on mm. Netflix and you're like, there's just so much here to watch. At the beginning of the pandemic, I, I finally started watching and it was exactly the friend that I needed. It, it was such a, not only a world to escape into, but it was a place that 
people were able to develop and get better and grow. And along the way, they made you laugh and cry. And it's just, I, whenever I'm feeling like I need comfort, I will turn to Schitt's Creek and just rewatch it again. Yeah, it's nice when you have those shows you just lose yourself in where I kind of think of them as like elevator music. You're enjoying it, but also you can kind of zone out or you have to pay too much attention. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's for some reason. I I talked about this on the show before, but the early seasons of Modern Family is that show for me where oh. when it was actually funny and I can just, you know, lose myself in it and have it on the background. And it's really important to have that arsenal of shows where you can turn your brain off. Agreed. I know. And it's, I mean, I won't get too into it because we'll go to a dirty place and we need not to go there, but the Schitt's <laughs> Creek fan fiction of David and Patrick has also oh. been such oh, a yeah. hugely important thing this past year for me. And like the worlds that people create um, out of other worlds, it's kind of amazing. And it never ceases to, to impress me where people will take characters. That is a whole rabbit hole that I am dying to go down now. (laughs) I know. You need to just, you know, Google Patrick, David, uh, depending on the rating, Google uh, fan fiction. And there you go. I am so excited and afraid at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Shit's Creek is incredible. It just won our Cozy Award for Coziest Show of 2020. Yeah, a very distinguished award. I'm working through watching it for the first time myself. And we are at the end of season five. <gasps> oh, and such a good season. I find that I'm dragging my feet because I don't want it to end. Yeah. Have you ever done that with a show where you're like, oh, yeah. you love it so much that you like, I'm rationing it. I'm watching one a week. I did that recently with Ted Lasso for the same reason. I haven't seen that yet. I want I just to. Don't, I just don't want there to be no new episodes. And so I'm going very slowly. <laughs> yeah. I'm also so sentimental that I cry at any you know, finale, no matter what it is, if I hate the show, I've never seen it, you know, I, I, some reason the finale just always make me cry. Oh, well, the Shit's Creek one, I'm not going to say anything to spoil it for you, Matt, but it is, whew, it's good. I bet. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm bracing myself for that and for that fanfic. So Lily, let's, let's dive into talking about your show. You host This Movie Changed Me, a podcast where in every episode you're joined by a guest who shares a movie that helped them reevaluate themselves, their society, or just in general, holds a really significant place in their life. For example, you've had New York Times film critic A.O. Scott on to talk about how Ratatouille moved his thinking on criticism. And you've had writer Ashley C. Ford on to talk about how The Nightmare Before Christmas made room in her life for the creepy and the beautiful. Mm, Yeah. Thinking about your podcast as a journey, you started the show in 2018 and you just released a brand new final season. And listening to your show, in which you have these really in depth conversations about the role these movies play in these individuals' lives, you often start by asking the guests to put themselves in the mindset of when and where they were when they first experienced that movie, whichever one they chose when they came on your show. And so I thought I'd start somewhere similar for you. So Lily, if you close your eyes and put yourself back in time and in the place where this movie changed me came to you, where are you and what are you feeling? What was the catalyst for your show? What memories come up for you? So I've always been fascinated by how people live 
And, and that sounds very broad, <laughs> but I mean, like how people fill their time, how people survive the hard things that they survive and, and how they shape their lives. And movies have always been such a big part of that living for me. And I don't remember the exact moment, but, you know, I had been working on another podcast um, at, at the same company at, at On Being Studios. And I had been talking to folks about using humor as a tool for survival. And I'd, every interview was focused around that. And I was starting to think about, could the next season of this this podcast be about movies as, as something that's sacred, right? And that was kind of my framework. And I remember watching, as I often do when I need comfort, uh, clips of Mr. Rogers, <laughs> someone that I grew up loving and just really feeling... Um, feeling like he saw me as a little kid. Like, you know, I really did feel like he could see through the TV screen and the things that he was saying were say were being said to me directly. It was that deep of a connection that he had with me. And I know he had it with many children who watched him growing up. Um, and I was watching a clip that he, it was a clip of when he, he accepted his Lifetime Achievement Award at the Daytime Emmys. And I don't know if you've seen this clip, but if you haven't, I would say you need to pause right now and go watch it because it is mesmerizing. What he did was he, he asked the audience who were watching him fully accepting, you know, kind of a standard speech to close their eyes. Um, and I believe it was also for 10 seconds. It may have been for a little bit more and to think about all the people in their lives that had brought them to the place that they were. And what you see happen on camera is really magical. You know, the camera kind of pans across the audience and, people start tearing up. Some people start just flat out crying. Um, and these are all soap stars, like daytime soap stars and talk show hosts and uh, famous people in the audience. And they're having this very strong reaction. And, you know, his point was really to transform them, to transport them back to a place in their, their memory and to situate them in that, that memory. And watching that clip, I thought, wow, like, what would it be like to ask someone to do this, but with the first time they saw a movie. And so that question really kind of inspired the series. And when we first started doing interviews, the team that produces this with me, we didn't, we didn't think it would be its own podcast. We really did think it was just going to be a season of this, this podcast that I had been working on and we've been working on together. And then the more that we started to do interviews for it, including Ashley's, because at that point it wasn't again, its own podcast. Um, the more we realized that this could be its own podcast and we, we could find folks whose lives had been changed by a single movie. And in the beginning, that was a lot easier. <laughs> and then, you know, as time progressed, it became harder and harder to find people who, who were truly changed by a movie. And I'm not talking just like a favorite movie or, or a movie that they really like love because they love the actor in it and they watch it over and over again because it makes them laugh. Like it, it became harder and harder to find folks whose lives had actually been changed. Like they did something differently or something, they saw something differently and action was taken. And that was ultimately why we decided to, to end the season after the third one is that we really wanted to make sure that the people that we were featuring had that experience with a movie. Yeah. It's so powerful thinking about you know, those moments, I really loved that anecdote you have about the Mr. Rogers element where you were thinking about those things that had, and those people in that case, but also movies, right, that have such a huge impact on our lives. Yeah. Um, it is such a incredible question just by itself, like what movie changed you? 
because you're right. It is hard, I imagine, to find people who really had like a significant uh, life change for movie. But at the same time, it's, it is, I think, I think all of us can think to a movie or most of us, I'll say, I think most of us can, can think of a movie that had a significant impact on us. Even, even if it didn't change our lives, it really moved us in a really significant way. And so when I first heard about your show, before I even started listening to episodes, I was asking myself this question like <laughs> forever and going through all the different like list of suspects that it could be. And so I just think it's an, it's a really incredible premise for a show mm-hmm. and leads to really interesting conversations. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I had that same belief, actually. I maybe naively thought everybody has a movie. Like there's no way. And I'd say probably like eight out of 10 times I can get someone to get there. <laughs> Like, um, you know, at a dinner party or, well, back when we had in-person dinner parties, um, you know, being able to to ask folks that question was always a favorite thing of mine because it does transport you to another, another time in your life where you're just like in real time remembering the person you were when you first saw the movie. And then you're also remembering all the things that you've learned as you've grown with the movie. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about uh, talking to folks about this this question about what movie changed them is that the answer to how they've grown together, how they've grown alongside the movie is always fascinating. And it it is always true to the trajectory of our growth as people. Um, and it's almost like the movie is just kind of, kind of alongside them. Yeah, I, I think for me, I could definitely say what book changed me, but and I was, as I was especially interested to talk to you because, um, you know, I was curious after having so many conversations on, you know, this movie changed me. What was the common characteristic that people noted when describing films that transformed them? Mm. You know, the first thing that came to my mind is something that Oprah says often. And Oprah's uh, been such a teacher for me. I used to watch her show when I was a little girl and, and I really did learn so much from watching her. And she said, you know, everyone really just wants to know, you know, do you see me? Mm, and yeah. I think that's really the thread. Everyone just wants to feel like they're being seen. And movies really do that. And especially in moments of our lives when we feel invisible or we feel lonely or we feel isolated, um, they really are able to be mirrors to ourselves. And also what I really love about the power of movies is that they're mirrors to the world. They show us things that are outside of our own personal experience and allow us into those experiences. So it's not that we suddenly understand what it means to be, you know, uh, a, a toy in Toy Story, but we're, we're able to really look at Toy Story and say, oh, I can imagine what that feels like because I'm feeling this in this moment, or they're describing something that I went through when I was a little girl or when I was a little boy. And all those experiences um, do that amazing um, kind of double work of, of reflecting your interior life as well as your exterior life. Yeah, I, I imagine also it's it's putting a voice to something you couldn't articulate yourself. Yes, I cannot tell you how many times I have seen a movie and it has given me language for something mm-hmm. that I had no idea uh, was even was even in me. Um, or I did have an idea, but had no words for it. And the movie gifted me that. Yeah. It's a wonderful gift. Yeah. Or, or even in some cases can give the individual a whole new vocabulary. 
yes. a whole way of talking about and looking at the world that for better or worse can either enhance their experience moving forward or even plague them. Yes. I'm thinking about like personally, when I was thinking about this question, not to interject with the movie that changed me, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you- <laughs> Well, you know, you know that I want to know. So please do. <laughs> and I was really thinking about Ghost World. Mm. Um, which, you know, is starring Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson. It was directed by Terry Zwigoff. I feel like that informed my sense of humor and the way that I talk about stuff and that it was kind of in lockstep with that early 2000s sort of ironic detachment mm. way of looking at the world. And I think that that helped me begin where I wanted to place my humor, my sense of humor. But I also think it kind of limited me into kind of um, a distance from things, which I've been working towards the older I get to get uh, closer to the stuff I talk about and not feel like I have to apologize for it or make fun of it or, you know, that I genuinely love it and I can love something. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? It doesn't have to be cool to other people because everyone in that movie is so concerned about how they do, even if they don't seem like it, are concerned about how they appear to other people. Mm. Um, so that, that was something that you're, you're showing me think about, like, that, like the language of, like, wow, I'm really talking about everything. Like, I have, like, this sarda- sardonic or snarky point of view. And, there, and snark really had a moment oh, yeah. in, like, in the early 2000s. And it's a 2000s. coping mechanism, right? I totally yeah. get that. But it's interesting that you had that experience that you named. Um, because, if you, you know, the character that Scarlett Johansson plays, right, what happens, her toward, what happens to her toward the end? she starts to realize that this is an empty way of being and that the humor right. is actually keeping her from knowing herself better, from knowing the world and from just like enjoying life. Right? <laughs> she gets to the yeah. point that she's like, I can't really even enjoy things anymore. No yeah, guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. I, I was watching the movie at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, like at like a, as a showing a couple of years ago. And that it dawned on me finally. And all my watching as a kid, like in, in when I was in high school, all I cared about was Thora Birch's, how funny she was, mm. how like, I didn't see any of the, I, I truly, honestly, dearly didn't get it, clearly. <laughs> but there's a way that you like fixate on certain things. You like, and you're looking for identity as a young person. Like, who can I form my personality around? Like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. So I, I want to be more like her. Um, Scarlett Johansson's character is giving up. So it's, yeah, there's, that, that's so funny. Like, but as an adult, I'm watching, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's the incredible thing about growing with movies. And that's why I love that idea because, you know, Yentl is a movie that I've seen, I mean, at least 20 times, if not more, since I was a little girl. And recently for an interview for this movie changed me, we did a live Zoom interview uh, with the incredible filmmaker Ama Sante and the poet Padre Gotuma, who had both very different experiences, their own unique experiences with Yentl. And Watching the movie, getting ready to talk to them, it was the first time that I realized that Yentl made this decision in the movie. Um, so loosely, the, the, it's the story about a woman who grows up in Orthodox Judaism. She wants to study Judaism. Her father had been a rabbi. Her father dies. Um, women couldn't study at that, that time um, Judaism within that, that denomination um, or that tradition in Judaism, I should say. And so she disguises, herself as, she disguises herself as a boy to go and study at the yeshiva. And the thing that I didn't realize until I was 39 this year, after how many times I've watched it, is that she could have gone to the U.S. to like start a new life. That's how the movie ends. But no, she decided, I am going to do this in my own tradition, my own faith. 
I'm not going to go and do something in another country and another religion. Like I'm going to do this because it's what I want to do. And I'm not going to abandon the things that I love, even if they don't accept me. And that was a huge lesson for me this year because I have very complicated feelings about the Christianity that I grew up in. Mm. And I thought previous to rewatching Yentl and having this experience, I have to leave Christianity because there's not a place for me there. Like there's just not a, it's not my home. It's not a place for me there. And watching this, I said, wow, Yentl didn't do that. Like she, she didn't say I'm going to abandon this. She's like, what you guys won't accept me. So I'm going to become one of you so I can do what I want and learn what I want and be closer to God. So it's just an example for me of how movies continue to teach you. And so much of it has to do with what you bring in that moment to the movie. Absolutely. And when you think about over all of your conversations with guests on your show, have you found any thread in terms of the setting of where people watch the movie or any Mm. impact that it had, whether the individual, I know this is kind of a granular question and there may no, there may not be a significant um, element to the place, but I am curious, especially now that we're in this moment where we can't see a movie in a theater. Well, you can, but it's not necessarily advisable to see a movie in a (laughs) theater. I personally am looking forward to the day when it is extra special safe to do that um, and can again. But is there a significant impact on like, you know, does it matter more if one sees a movie in a theater or does it, is it even more personal if it was at home to begin with? Mm. Has, Has there been any kind of common thread in terms of where people see these movies that change them? You know, not that I've noticed in interviews. Um, what has been a common thread though is it's often really powerful alone. So they'll, they'll see the movie alone and they'll have this very personal experience or they're usually surrounded by people that they love. They're very close to. So it's kind of like an interesting um, side to it. Like either people that you really love, you have this experience with them or just uniquely by yourself, right? You're alone as an individual. Um, I will say for me personally, as someone who loves movie theaters, One of the things I didn't know until this pandemic started and that was no longer an option for me was the fact that I have a lot of trouble watching movies at home alone and having like feelings essentially (laughs) like crying by myself. I'm single and I live alone and crying by myself at a movie that is, is impactful that has a, a big emotional punch for me is very hard. Like I watched recently Nomadland And I loved it. I mean, I just had this emotional connection to it. I had to keep stopping it because I was, it was really kind of hurting me because I couldn't really cry. And I was reflecting on that. And I think it's because I often go to the movies as like an experience by myself. Like I take myself on movie dates. I go to the movies and there's something about being surrounded by strangers that makes me feel, it's that feeling of alone together. Like I'm alone but I'm also surrounded by them. And so I feel comforted by the fact that there are people there and I can cry freely and no one's going to look at me. No one's going to notice. And I'm just like sitting there in my chair, like sobbing. And it's this like very important release. And for reasons that I don't quite understand yet, when I'm here alone by myself at home, it's very hard for me to do that. It is so hard for me to have that same kind of really freeing cry that I can have in a movie theater. So I'm especially excited because I swear I'm probably just going to sob <laughs> for uh, God knows how long at the next movie that I see in the movie theater. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's so easy at home to put up the guard of yes. 
oh, I'm starting to feel something. I don't know if I want to confront it. I'm going to check Twitter. Oh my God. I got up and started like washing dishes. I would (laughs) never do that in a movie theater. I've never like, I mean, I'm the person who doesn't even really eat food in the movie theater because I'm so into it. I'm so present. But but the movie was so gutting for me, Nomadland, that I had to keep stopping. I stopped it three times. And I was just like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> I'm starting to realize I have some sort of like um, orthodox beliefs about pausing. Because mm. my husband loves to take breaks when you watch movies. I do sometimes as well. But like usually I like to do it start to finish because I feel like the momentum of tone in a film yes. can be really impactful on the viewer experience. Mm. And so every time we're pausing, I'm like... I do wonder, like, would I have felt differently about this movie if I had experienced the, you know, probably not in, in like, a, a lump sum, like, you know, the, looking at the sum of its parts. But I feel like potentially to a point, like, would it make me cry or not? I think it could be a deciding factor. Like, was the, uh, you know, was it a runaway train coming at me and I couldn't pause or stop it and I just was overwhelmed by it? Mm. It's really easy to pause it and kind of like, yeah, let let that sit, like, get over it. <laughs> yeah. Let the movie stay there for a minute. So well, my partner talks through movies. So that's <laughs> a struggle. That is like one of my biggest, like I can't, <laughs> I need to, because I, I also, I, I'm starting to realize maybe I'm like a little hard of hearing, so it makes it mm. even worse. And so also we don't need your commentary on every thing that is said. <laughs> we can wait till after. I'm, I'm, I'm such a hypocrite on that because I, it depends on what I'm watching. And also it depends on like my own attitude about the movie. Like if there are some movies that I like to have like a mystery science theater esque like viewing experience because I don't take them seriously. So it's funny to watch them in a way that like we're talking while it's going on. But if it it all is meant to be watched seriously, talking, yeah, definitely yeah. ruins it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think also when you're younger, it's important to see movies by yourself. So you can have that uninterrupted special relationship with the film and I one of my favorite things is going to movies by myself mm-hmm. I used to do that a lot more often and also just a, a learning experience when you're younger so like how Matt was saying earlier you know you're so influenced by the opinions and thoughts of people around you you're a sponge especially when you're younger and just to have formed my own opinion about things was just essential also to have my building my critical thinking skills yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And like you remember the movies that you see with your friends and they have an impact, right? It's not like they don't. Um, I mean, I still remember the first time I saw The Matrix when it first was released. Like that was for my generation what felt like Star Wars, you know, the way that folks mm-hmm. uh, for their generation talk about Star Wars was The Matrix because we, we had never seen anything like it. Like we just walked away and we're just like, what did we just see? But I also remember going to see movies by myself, taking the bus in Miami, skipping school often um, to go to to the movie theaters and catch the first showing of something. And I remember watching, you know, The English Patient. And I remember watching so many movies that because I was alone, I was able to have a more profound experience mm-hmm. without distraction. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So switching gears a little bit to coziness uh what movie makes you feel cozy and inspires comfort for you Mm. so i've been thinking about this a lot because obviously having listened to your podcast um i i did actually start to think what are the movies that make me feel cozy and the first one that came to my mind um is sleep is in seattle by nora Mm -hmm. efron that's a movie that 
more than any other movie I have seen. I, I mean, I've watched that. I, I truly don't even know how many times I've watched it. Um, and it, it immediately fills me with warmth and this feeling of friendship. It's just such a friend to me. It is something that I watch when I'm happy. I watch when I'm sad. I watch when I just really want something familiar that um, I can immerse myself in and just lose myself in. And it never stops being funny or delightful or genuine. And I truly wish that I had gotten the chance to interview Nora Ephron. When I worked at NPR, I was in the process of scheduling an interview with her for a movie series that I, I was doing there called Movies I've Seen a Million Times. And she unfortunately passed away before we were able to talk. And I'm so bummed about that because what I really wanted to ask her was like, what was your intention with that movie? Because I guarantee it was to show all of us that life is full of magic and that magic is found in our friendships and in ourselves and in all these little moments that we just take for granted. Like, tuning in on Christmas Eve to the radio and hearing the voice of a man in Seattle talking about the loss of his wife and falling in love with that voice and taking a journey, a very, in retrospect, stalkery journey to have now come to, to see as an adult. What Meg Ryan does in that movie is not consensual. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, all these things happen because of these little moments that intersect at exactly the right time. And um, there's even a line in the movie where both characters say the word magic. And I, I do believe that that's the intention that Nora Ephron put into that movie and she succeeded. And it's the reason why every time I watch it, I feel like I'm watching something magical. It's nice when that magic, like you said, isn't broken by time because there are plenty of movies that I look back on that I found really familiar and comforting and I love them. And then I'm like, wow, this is so problematic that I cannot gloss over it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I had, yes, I had um, some of the younger folks that I work with had never seen the movie. And I was like, oh, my God, we have to watch it together. And I remember this is pre-pandemic. We got together in our office and we have a screen downstairs. And so we all got together to watch it. And it was another coworker who pointed out to me that her behavior was really stalkery. And I had never seen that before. And I think he's totally right. And, but like myself, I was like, no, she's a journalist. She's investigating, you know, she gets on a plane and, you know, stands outside across the street of a man's house and she doesn't know. No, that's just, yeah, no, it's really fine. <laughs> journalism. Yeah. She's all investigating. Exactly. And the reality is like, if, if, and, and he really did disarm him. He said, if a man did this exact same thing in this movie, what would you think? And I'd be like, he's a creep. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was me with um, Father of the Bride, which is so largely, pro pro it's like looking back on it. I mean, I, I grew up watching it and that little hot dog bun scene, ha ha ha. And um, yeah, I love the house in the movie. And I think the aesthetic is what I found cozy and fell in love with. But now watching it back, the misogyny. <laughs> I love it. Even. So much misogyny. So much. It's just dripping. So, and my partner was just pointing out line by line by line. And I just stormed off. I was like, forget it. <laughs> I just couldn't. <laughs> it was like one of those moments. I can never watch it ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well on that note, is there a movie that you find cozy that isn't? technically a cozy movie Ooh, you know the first john wick 
I am surprised by saying that because the entire <laughs> premise is a man who has to kill everyone who has hurt him slash the people who killed his dog. <laughs> yeah, I, I, of, of all the movies, uh, a, a dog getting in harm's way movie is not the one <laughs> yeah, no. I'd expect to hear. So that but is, that is, this is, I can't wait to hear this explanation. It's an incredible choice. And I'm impressed how fast you pulled it out of your pocket, too. <laughs> well, Keanu Reeves is never too far away from my mind. Let's just be honest about that. Um, you know, John Wick, to me, exemplifies what I love about a good action movie, which is simplicity. There's, there's like, here's the backstory to the character. We got to set up that he is complicated. You know, he's done bad things, but he's done good things. And then there's something that happens that just gets at his vulnerability. And then there's like the rage that comes out and everybody is just going to have to watch out all the rage is coming their way. And it's satisfying. It's predictable. The reason I love that one in particular is because the action is reliant on uh, physical hand-to-hand combat instead of with guns. Unlike John Wick 2, very disappointing. They put in a bunch of guns. But in the first one, you know, Keanu's really just battling physically, doing all of this himself, like arm to arm, leg to leg with his own body. And as someone, you know, he studied martial arts for many years and, and had worked with the directors. They were his stuntmen, stuntmen that he'd worked with in the past. So it's just so cool to watch this dance that you constantly see interacting in the action. I find action movies like that really comforting because it's a way for me to just enjoy something that in real life I would be terrified of if I saw, like if I saw any of the things that happened in John Wick happen in my life, it would freak me out. But in the safety of a Keanu Reeves movie, it's, it's totally fine. Yeah. Cause that identifiable purpose. Yes. Yeah. It's so hard sometimes with you know, you're questioning when you have to question what the um, character's motivation is that can lose yep. some of that co- coziness. So I can imagine action movies are perfect for that kind of cozy element. And, and it requires very little to convince you that it is um, possible. Like you really just have to do a good enough job of creating mm-hmm. a character that you believe. And you go and, to that movie wanting that kind of simplicity of experience where you're just like, I want an action movie. Give me an action movie. I turned on total recall that I watched for the first time. I think I had seen scenes, but on, it was on Netflix and I, we watched it a couple weeks ago and it was incredible because I wanted a cheesy science fiction action movie and I got a cheesy yep. <laughs> science fiction action movie <laughs> and everyone's had, everyone's satisfied. I, I didn't think once it was great. I had a lot of fun sometimes like those kind of just basic action movies, like I'm not going to sit here and claim that Godzilla versus Kong is a good movie. Okay. <laughs> I can't. All right. They would shut the show down. Somebody would, they would have to, I still like, even though I, I couldn't defend it was like, I wanted to see big monsters fight. I got mm-hmm. to see big monsters fight. We're good. Yep. <laughs> so for the remainder of 2021, it's crazy how, sorry, wild, how, fast things are moving. Um, are there any movies listeners should keep an eye on? Mm. You know, I actually don't even know what is going to end up being released, to be honest, as far as the theaters. It's a tall order. Right? I know. Yeah, it's, it's, we're oh going to have to get God. you a crystal ball. Truly, <laughs> truly. And yes, if I can, if I can predict that, I think I could predict just about anything. Um, but I am excited about uh, the externals. Um, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of like the Marvel superhero movies. I I did get to a point where I was tired of the Avengers movies, mostly because they just Mm -hmm. got longer and longer. And I, 
I can't believe how long they were. Like there are times where I fell asleep in the last two and I can't tell you how rare that is for me. And I was, it was just too much. I'm like, who is, why are they not editing these movies? I don't understand. Um, But I am excited about that. Um, I will say, you know, for folks who haven't seen The Sound of Metal, it's a movie I loved and I know it's nominated for Oscars with Riz Ahmed. And um, it's just, it's another movie that both teaches, transports, and um, really just makes you reflect in a way that a lot of movies um, often, you know, attempt to do, but don't succeed. And it really does that. And Nomadland, I mean, I cannot Mm -hmm. recommend both those movies enough. Yeah, those, those are incredible movies. I'm also, I also really loved Minari. Um, oh, yes. For that, for that cozy factor of like, I'm sold whenever there's a, a grandma-grandson relationship mm-hmm. movie that's like centered on, on that. And so seeing that relationship develop over the course of the movie is really, was really incredible. I thought they did a great job with that. Agreed. Switching gears a little bit to, so moving out of the movie territory and back into your podcasting career. This movie changed me is a very soothing and comforting show. And I'm I'm curious to hear, because I, I believe I saw an article that you wrote on this topic, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it a little more. How do you feel podcasts themselves can provide comfort to their listeners? You know, I think especially in this pandemic, that is that has become more of a reality, the comfort part. Um as a listener of podcasts myself. The thing that I gravitate toward is authenticity, um, vulnerability. And, and what I mean by that is if you're having a genuine conversation with someone where you come to it with curiosity and a desire to learn and to just be in conversation with that person, you can tell, you can tell. Um, and I listen to a lot of podcasts that are conversations um, and not just interviews, but conversations and I really struck how in this pandemic year, the thing that has really comforted me has been the vulnerable moments of like tech issues and connections and folks who like have their children running in the background (laughs) as they're doing an interview or, you know, something that happens um, that normally wouldn't because everyone's just at home, right. Or, Or working from places that they normally wouldn't be. Um, and that intimacy that's created from, these human moments have been remarkable to listen to. And I do feel like it has changed podcasting in a lot of ways. I mean, I work for a team that, you know, we obsess over the sound quality and, um, you know, volume graphing and ums and likes and all of these things that we, we make our, you know, we do our best to edit out and make folks sound natural, but we, we do obsess about the production. Right. And it's, comical to me that the majority of podcasts that I love and that I listen to, they sound really good, but that's not at the center of it. At the center of it is almost always just two people having conversation Um, and how much that has been a comfort to me to just be let into the intimacy of the two like voices. Because that's the thing about podcasts that I find so special is that you're not distracted by looking at people and the visual aspect of it. So you just get to really let these folks into your ears and into your body in a very different way, a very intimate way. 
Yeah, I like how podcasts follow me around throughout my day. So when I'm washing <laughs> dishes, I'm yeah. listening, um, walking around the house. This is like you're in your own little bubble and it's access to the outside world. So it's very external, but at that same time, it has an internal quality of it's private. It's in your earbuds, you know, you're, it's no one else is listening, only you if, you're, if you have your headphones on. And so it's this lovely duality that I think has just really saved a lot of people during this tough time. Yeah, I agree. It's for me, I've discovered podcasts this year more than any other year because I was really needing that accompaniment as someone who lives alone. Definitely. Yeah. And it's been strange too, because a lot of the places that one would typically listen to a podcast, depending on how you listen, have been sort of taken out of the equation. So if you are somebody who listens on a commute, for example, Mm. that's not happening for a lot of people. Um, And I found for myself personally, because that, that was me, the only podcasts I still listen to are the ones that are really intimate, that are very casual. I think because they are in my home with me and it feels like I just want to hear from friends versus all the shows that were more formal or like newsy. Mm. Those are the ones I listen to on my commute. And I've completely lost track of them. So it, it's, I, I, I totally agree that like the coziness of podcasts and the, and the potential for them to just sort of be companions at home and to have that sort of, you know, letting somebody into your, into your world, but also getting to be in their world, right? Um, and hearing what's going on with them and all these different, this different cross-pollination of ideas in a time when it's difficult to connect with people and the shows that I'm still listening to are the ones that, that do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, before the pandemic, I was not a big audiobook re- audiobook listener. And um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know what inspired me, but I love the Harry Potter books and I had never listened to the audiobooks. And, you know, that's another thing that much like Schitt's Creek, people had been telling me to listen to for years. And I finally started. Did you go with uh, Stephen Fry or Jim Dale? I went with Jim Dale just because of the fact that that's what kind of the traditionalists of Harry Potter had told me. (laughs) Um, But I have listened to the Stephen Fry. It is very different experience, I will say. Yeah. And I I, I hope to one day have a conversation with Jim Dale about his Hermione, which I do not approve of. I just do not approve of his version of Hermione. That's not how I thought she would sound. He makes her sound very whiny. It bothers me. (laughs) But, um, But apart from that, it's astounding what he did. Um, I felt listening to the books like I was being read to. It was that feeling again of watching Mr. Rogers where I felt like Jim Dale was speaking only to me. He was telling me this story and I got so wrapped up in it, even though I, again, have read these books many times, I know exactly what's going to happen. But I remember crying, like in the first book, listening to the audiobook when like he, you know, Dumbledore says, shares a little thing about Neville and I just started like crying in my kitchen Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god I can't believe that this is having this impact but it's that feeling of comfort right that these um, books had at the origin of it you know when J.K. Rowling wrote them but then also that Jim Dale created this world with his voice and the voices that he gave the characters and and also just the human voice and storytelling it's such a powerful thing um, that makes you feel less alone yeah, I'm I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, and that resonates with me. The idea of revisiting those through audio form. It might be the only way to get me to revisit them, honestly, because <laughs> at this point, 
a series of seven children's book in a row. I don't know why I can't like, I have other things I want to make sure I get to first, but I could definitely squeeze an audiobook. Yeah. Lily, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and talk about your podcast and the movies that make you feel cozy. Where can listeners keep up with your work and stay in touch with you? Well, I am not on social media, so I cannot push them <laughs> to that direction. Um, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The question is, I mean, my email is on the onbeing.org website, so you could go there and just write me uh, an email. Um, but yeah, I work with the wonderful team at On Being Studios. And so, um, you know, we're actually in a couple weeks launching the third season of Poetry Unbound. Unfortunately, the conversation cuts out there because when we downloaded Lily's part of our recording, it cut out the ending part of our conversation where we learned where we could follow up with her new work and all that stuff. So it's appropriate because we were talking about already like how it's cozy when things <laughs> go wrong. <laughs> um, so things went a little wrong technically, but um, the important thing is that you know that you can listen to Lily's podcast, This Movie Changed Me, at On Being Studios. So you can go to their website, but it's, of course, available everywhere you can listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it's an incredibly thoughtful and cozy show. Do check it out. And thank you, Lily, for joining us and talking about cozy movies and the origins of your very soothing show. Thank you, Lily. Now that we're leaving the theater... The credits are rolling and the music is playing as we walk out. What's, what music will that be? This is an amazing transition into <laughs> soothing sounds. Jillian, what sound is soothing you this week? So my song isn't exactly timely. But I guess, I, suppose, I guess in a way it is, because this song honors the Pink Moon, which we'll have on April 26th, so our episode drops a day before the Pink Moon. And this was recommended to me by a beloved listener, Andy A., and she said that, um, she clued me on the Pink Moon, I really wasn't aware, but it's supposed to be Harold Spring, and the name Pink Moon refers to the wild ground flux a type of white, pink wildflower that tends to sprout in the U.S. and Canada around this time of year. It's also sometimes called an egg moon, fish moon, or sprouting grass moon. I think for me, I'm a tie between egg moon and pink moon. I kind of like egg moon. <laughs> but, well, for the sake of this, pink moon will work. Um, and I, I like the songs. It's a, a beautiful, dreamy song and the perfect tribute to the mystical pink moon is it an egg moon is it a fish moon no it's a pink moon by nick drake heard the song in a thousand different movies but for some reason it didn't register to me now that he was singing about a pink moon yeah i know the song and i realized it like i didn't when you introduced it i was like i don't i'm listening just for the first time and then i heard it and i was like no i've definitely heard the song before and i cannot remember what soundtracks it's on 
and I'm looking it up and it's not coming to me in enough time for this recording. So listeners, tell us all the movies that Pink Moon is on because I know I've heard the song before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but it, it's a, a beautiful, gorgeous song, but it also makes me chuckle in a cozy, sweet way because like I said, I didn't, so you can't tell the beginning he's singing about a pink moon because he kind of, I, the way he sings, it's, you know, like all the words kind of go to, they just go together. And do you kind of get that vibe? No, definitely. It, it all just sort of blends together in, but it's beautiful. Like it's, 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 beautiful. it's really smooth and it flows. And a very cozy song. Yeah. The sound that is soothing me this week is another track by Lucy Dacus, who is a singer songwriter who is no stranger to this show. Um, I mentioned her, I think, a year and a half ago, maybe about like her song about New Year's Eve, which is really great. This is a new song by Lucy Dacus that just came out that I believe is also very cozy. It is called Hot and Heavy, and it's from her upcoming album, Home Video. Let's take a listen to Hot and Heavy by Lucy Dacus. In the music video, she's in a movie theater, yeah. appropriately enough, and she's watching all of her home videos of her as a child. And that in and of itself is just really sweet. Very sweet. Um, but I love the lyrics of the song about re- you know remembering a, pl- a time and place and even visiting it. And just like I, the, the line about getting like just like flushed <laughs> and feeling hot um, when you think about it or try to even have that memory, it it can be difficult to have some memories, right? That kind of maybe make us embarrassed or it's just like too raw. Um, and I really love the feeling she's tapping into with this song. And it's one of those songs that just has like a really um, addicting beat to it. It's very upbeat mm-hmm. and light. And uh, it almost sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song, I think, which is kind of interesting. So really enjoyed it. Um, Lucy Dacus, Hot and Heavy. Great pick. Turn that down because we're headed into the Cozy Library. So this pick is called Wildflower Season by Michelle Major and is out May 25th. When Emma Cantrell's marriage imploded, she learned a fast and painful lesson about trusting her heart. Then on a visit to Magnolia, North Carolina to see her brother, an elegant, if dilapidated mansion for sale, presents opportunity to start over. Risking everything on her dream of opening the Wildflower Inn, Emma buys a house just as the storm of the century hits, severely damaging the structure. But a chance meeting with Holly, a bride-to-be in desperate need of a new venue, gives her hope and the name of a contractor who will work fast and cheap, allowing Emma to repair the inn in time to host the wedding and save her investment. Hmm. <laughs> Smell love in the air. So with a contractor has, of all people. <laughs> so this has strong, sweet Magnolia vibes. If you love that show, I have a feeling you're probably going to like this book. And about Michelle, she is the publisher's weekly best-selling Rita award-winning author of over 30 sexy and sweet contemporary romances. A Midwesterner at heart, she's made the Rocky Mountains her home for nearly half her life and is thrilled to share her books with readers. That sounds great. And also, please do yourself a favor and check out J.C. Kenny's Allie Cobb series. Kenny is a friend of the show and a cozy mystery writer from Indiana. 
J.C. Kenney's books follow literary agent Allie Cobb, an amateur sleuth who solves crimes alongside her rescue cat, Ursula. And I just bought Deadly Discovery, his only installments of the series, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. So please go out and support J.C. Kenney. Yes, support a member of our cozy community. Check out the Allie Cobb series, A Deadly Discovery. Now that we have our reading material, it's time to wind down with a candle review. I'm back on the beat with a and of course because i'm the one picking the candle i'm back to gaming candles <laughs> so it, last time we talked about gaming and coziness we reviewed cantrip candles the library scriptorium which is such a good candle that i remembered that name so that should say something to you that was really for tabletop gaming where you're trying to set a scene for your party whatever game you're playing and you can do that obviously with any kind of board game or tabletop game this candle is a little bit different it's for a video game, and it's a video game that is near and dear to my heart. It's from the Zelda series. It's called Zora's Domain, which is a, a water area of Hyrule Kingdom. This is a candle that you can maybe burn while you're playing a video game like Zelda if you're in Zora's Domain to have a full sensory experience, or more likely you're just a fan of the series, and you just like candles that put you in the location of your favorite games. So this candle is by a company called Potions and Pyrelight, and they specialize in making um, gaming and sort of just geek culture candles, right? They have a lot on their website for Pokemon. If you're a Pokemon fanatic, they have candles that are scented around specific Pokemon, which I don't know if I want to smell all the Pokemon, <laughs> but uh, check it out for sure. Um, in particular, Zora's Domain is giving us fresh rain, river rocks, moss, waterfalls, and willow. It's an eight ounce coconut soy wax candle and it is hand-poured in Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's a really pretty candle. You can tell it just has that mm -hmm. kind of personal touch to it. It had like this beautiful glitter. I, I should have gotten a photo around the Ooh, top of yeah. it. It's a wood wick. It is giving you that sort of like um, water, fresh water scent. I really mm -hmm. want to be able to place that better. Maybe it is the moss smell, but it is definitely delivering that kind of um, vibe. I think it, it is giving me water area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna be. I was gonna ask, how does river rock smell? You know, I think that is there's like an, a mineral element to the scent mm -hmm. that it, that it is delivering on. I think overall, like, it's definitely giving you what it wanted. I picked it because I love Zoro's Domain because I love the water areas of video games. But I should have known better in terms of my own taste because I do know that this kind of scent can lean into um, a sort of like a it, it is a fresh scent which can, mm -hmm. can sometimes smell a little cloying or like cleaning stuff. Like, yeah. And so I think like for the kind of, um, the, the sense that I typically like to have in my house, it doesn't quite fit that profile, but I do want to give it credit where it's due. Like if you do enjoy a, um, a watery type scent, like kind of like an ocean scent, um, salty, mossy, Ozone for uh, ozone is kind of the, the ozone. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense to people, but that's kind of what I'm getting. That's kind of, that is what it's delivering. So I would say it's giving you what it promised for me. The smell is okay. Not my favorite. So I would say half a wick for me. Um, but I am intrigued and I would definitely try out other candles by potions and pyrolite. Yeah. I, all the adjectives used to describe the count candle are, are really inviting and sound super cool. But uh, yeah, I think it's our first half wick in a long time. So 
Interesting. Don't take it personally, potions and pyrolite. Um, <laughs> it you again. This is down to maybe a personal taste matter, but but it sounds beautiful. The sparkles. So oh I'm yeah, excited to see it. Who doesn't love some glitter? Yeah. Me when I get it in cards sometimes because then it gets all over the place. But generally, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. No, in a candle, it's fine. Um, that does it for today's show. Um, Julian, what do we have any shout outs before we go? I just want to thank all the members of our All Things Cozy Facebook group for always sharing incredible recs, ideas, and cozy cheer. It's something that I like to check in on every day, and it brings a smile to my face. And you keep that community going and keep it strong, and it's it's so appreciated. 100%. We love our listeners and all of the wonderful things they share on our Facebook group and really everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. like wherever you are, like we, your messages mean a lot to us and we really appreciate, um, all the things you send us and, and the great comments you have on our posts. And we're very grateful that you're a part of this podcast journey. That is all things cozy. Um, if you would also like to check out our cozy community, we can be found on Instagram at all things cozy podcast on Facebook, same, t- same tag, and if you want to go a little bit above and beyond, you can also consider contributing to our Patreon, patreon.com slash allthingscozy, where you can contribute to the show um, and fuel our endless supply of candles and uh, Hallmark movie mm-hmm. rentals um, just to keep, a, keep the conversation flowing and cozy itself. We do appreciate that if you um, would like to contribute. Um, but in any case, it, we also welcome reviews if you want to anywhere you listen to podcasts leave a review for us that does help people find the show and, and yeah we're just you know honestly we're just happy people are listening to the show we really yep. you know we're grateful that we're not talking into the void um we're <laughs> very lucky to have people like lily join us to talk about you know cozy stuff and and for you to to listen to it and um thank you and we'll be back in your ears you. with more coziness in a couple more weeks until then stay, stay cozy, cozy.